Welcome to our first Friday for April with Emily Schubert. The Nell Street Art Center, situated within the tribal lands of Nichiltana, the Nilchik Village tribe, whose descendants trace their roots from the ancient Kachemak peoples and the Dena'in and Sukbiak people of this region, who have sustained these lands since time immemorial. It's really delightful to have Emily Schubert with us this month. Emily is an interdisciplinary artist working mainly in the works, worlds of puppetry, performance, sculpture, and collage. She hails from the borderlands between Cincinnati, Ohio, and Northern Kentucky, and earned a degree in fiber and textile art from the Maryland Institute College of Art in 2013. Since then, Emily has worked on costumes for traveling Broadway shows, participated in puppet theater festivals and workshops in Europe, Indonesia, and the United States. And she's found a passion for organic farming. Emily's inspired by the fantastical and the everyday and how these shape people's perceptions of the world. Drawing from mythology, folk tales, memories, and personal experiences, she creates narratives and characters that aim to make sense of our existence by giving form to our collective anxieties and desires. Enthralled by the emotive power and depth of expression achieved through puppetry and storytelling, she believes that within these realms lies a source of real-life magic that is deficient in much of our daily lives. I just really can't think of a more perfect artist to have with us at this time, Emily. You just bring so much um, imagination and joy, and it's what we need. So I welcome you, as do all of us, uh, Benel's big family spread far and wide. Thank you. Would you like me to show just a Thank few um, installation shots of your, I could do yeah, that just, just before we begin so that, um, yeah, so that people can. Sounds great. Okay. So these are just some really fabulous images which um, describe, which, you know, document Emily's beautiful installation right now at Bunnell Street Art Center. And Emily, maybe you want to just talk us through it a little bit. Sure. Um, okay. What you're looking at right now, um, there's a projection of a video snippet of a cranky piece um, called World Woman that I will show you the full video um, at some point in this presentation so you'll get the whole experience, sound included, which is great. Um, and then down on the left, there is um, a tiny little, I, it's house shrine. This is kind of a, I've started making these during the pandemic, so they're rather new. And that specific little house is called House of Spinning Dreams. It has like a tiny little dollhouse-sized spinning wheel in it. And it is a little cottage, Tuscan cottage, that is situated on some bird feet. Um, and then over on the far wall is a series of small houses. One that is like a tiny house on a woven basket with some drooping hands, which is something that comes up a lot in the things that I make. And then next to that, there's a tiny little pine needle thatched shrine um, with a deer jowl coming off of it. And in it is um, a basket with a newspaper talking about millions going to the polls. Um, and that is called the House of Cyclical Time. And then next to that, there is um, a, another little house with a box where little tiny bird feet are holding these oars that are trying to steer it and it is called the house of navigation. So that's this photo. Okay and so this one you can actually see sort of behind me dangling and so this is um, this is the house of days gone by and it is has a some Canadian goose wings and I got really into making these tiny little brooms with pine needles and in it there's kind of a rocking chair it's like a um, a porch scene that kind of reminds me of maybe a house on the plains where the dusty wind blows through the screen door um, but it has a little corrugated cardboard tin roof and um, birch bark shingling that I actually got the last time that I was in Alaska and have kept for art making ever since. And then there's this dangly hand piece behind that called blue that's all indigo dyed fabric that kind of is ombre. Um, and then a collage piece um, that was part of a series uh, based on 
Um, there's this website that exists called the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, and it is words in different languages that, like, we, we don't really have the same kind of term or meaning in the English language. And so the title of this piece is called Welchmers, which is a German word that stands for melancholy and general world weariness. And so that is a collage that depicts, sort of depicts that image. This is um, kind of a behind the scenes shot of uh, a little mushroom man puppet and this butterfly that is in another cranky performance piece of mine. And then my wooden cranky box. I have a couple of them. Um, and this is a fancy one that my dad actually made for me. He is oftentimes my fancy studio assistant because he's a wonderful carpenter. And um, this one actually is ab uh, able to screw apart and break down to uh, travel with me wherever I go. So that's my cranky box with a cranky scroll inside um, called Heart Splinters. And there's me at my table in the back um, set up for for the month. I'm super excited to to get to actually like make in the space that everything is displayed. That's kind of new for me. Um, but it's already been awesome to get to interact with different people that come through the gallery and talk to them about stuff. And then here's a little, a better view of my little mushroom man on his grassy knoll. And so he and the butterfly and the sunflowers are actually all active puppets um, that are part of the cranky performance piece that is also projected on the wall. It's a cranky piece called World Woman that we'll talk about a little bit more in a little bit. But I wanted to mention, so I, uh, the title of this show actually came from a friend of mine who is a uh, she will often like mix up uh, phrases or like isms. And so she compiled a list earlier this year of all of the phrases that she kind of misspoke. Someone else had kind of tracked them for her. And this was one that I read and I like couldn't get out of my mind for the longest time between a rock and a soft place because it, it feels uh, like exactly where my head has been during a lot of this pandemic, where there's this like all of this really harsh stuff happening on one side, yet there's all of this internalization and sort of uh, personal reflection and like trying to work through where we're at uh, like as a society, but then also like how I specifically individually fit into that. And that has felt really soft. And so, um, she is, I, I thank her for my namesake for this show. And um, if any of you are in town, please stop by and visit. Wonderful. Well, um, I think that takes us through the images that we had of your installation. And, and if you would like to um, dive into your talk, you're welcome to take it from here. Emily, we're so excited about this month that you're gonna spend with us, the workshops that you're gonna do and the things that you're making. So eager to hear all about it. Yeah, well, thank you so much for that fabulous introduction. Um, I do, I, so I come from uh, Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky originally, but I have been based in Baltimore for the past couple of years. So living on um, land that was traditionally um, uh, that of the Piscataway and Susquehannock peoples. Um, and uh, it is a, uh, a place, a city that is very raw. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's a place where there uh, are lots of different walks of life coming together. And I feel very blessed to call it home, um, especially during this time where I think a lot of that rawness has uh, kind of been exposed to the nth degree during this pandemic. And um, in that space, I have made a lot of this work. Um, but so I'm gonna I'm gonna share a lot of visuals with you, kind of about about my past, where I come from, and how I got to now. I think that that's always good in these talks to guide and kind of get a sense of where my head is at and where I have come from, um, so that you can kind of I don't know I'll bring you on this journey with me that I've gone through up till now. So I'm gonna share my screen. Everybody see it okay? Can I get thumbs up? I always like the hand signals on the Zoom so that we know it's working. Awesome. Okay, so 
Um, this is uh, a still from that cranky performance piece called World Woman um, at the beginning of this, this cranky show. So cranky very briefly is um, a type of storytelling that exists within this frame that is a two-dimensional scroll that you can crank across the screen and sort of tell a story over the top of. Sometimes there are um, accompanying musicians. Um, it, it, it has a long history of being an art form. And so this is the format that I'm actually going to teach workshops on or about while I'm here. And um, I use this as my beginning image because I came across a quote recently um, from Carl Jung that says, no noble well-grown tree has ever disowned its dark roots. And so I am going to kind of show you some of my roots as an artist uh, and where I come from. Um, as I whisper to this flower, are you ready? Are you ready to go on a journey with me? That's kind of how this performance starts. So I felt it would be suited to, to this talk. So I'm gonna take you way, way, way back to my very beginnings of um, how I got into puppetry and performance. I had this very influential teacher in college that was that was like, Emily, you're into all of these specific things, like alternate realities, like weird interactions with people where you're not really yourself, um, making tiny little things. And so I, uh, in college, she uh, motivated me to check out this, this puppetry community that Baltimore had going on. And um, I got involved and I started making these, these characters, these like roaming performance characters so that I could interact with people um, that were strangers that I didn't know, but not be myself. And so this is the magical bag lady. And so I would go out and, and uh, perform with her, just kind of like walking around Baltimore, interacting with whoever I met. And she had all these bags and in the bags, she would sometimes have Easter eggs full of confetti or tissue paper flowers. And she would kind of just like linger and wait for somebody to, um, to, do a good deed and then she would like hand someone a tiny little trophy or she would wait for someone to seem super distressed and then kind of run over and hand them this tissue paper flower like oh don't worry about it it's going to be fine um and this kind of started my interest in nonverbal performance she's a silent character people are oftentimes very confused about that because they want they want your character to talk but at the same time i feel like you you accomplish more people are able to relate more readily to to a character that doesn't necessarily bring with it any kind of verbal history or, or um, I don't know, uh, people are, are more easily ready to open up to kind of this anonymous person. And so um, she existed through many performance festivals and different things and taught me a lot about, uh, about how to just interact with people in, in masked performance way. And then I had the opportunity while I was in school to travel abroad and get um, these different kind of perspectives um, and understand the idea of puppetry or mask performance or dance through a more uh, ceremonial base and traditional base um, uh, history. And so in places that are not the Western world, I feel like, you know, while I was in school learning about puppetry, I ran into a lot of people that were like, oh, puppets are for kids. And, and I was really like, but why? Like, why do puppets have to just be for kids? Like, they're obviously for all people. Really what it's about is trying to get at, like, at messaging, right? To communicate these messages that sometimes seem really big and heavy in a very simple way through, um, some some object that isn't a person that you don't have this like judgmental history with like a it's it's uh way neutral you can you can kind of project your thoughts and feelings onto this thing that is the puppet rather than um having it carry all this weight with it um and so i had this wonderful opportunity to study under a traditional shadow puppet maker while i was in indonesia and um I also learned a lot about nonverbal communication because we could not speak the same language. And so he taught me the whole time through 
uh, thumbs ups and pointing and kind of just like grunting for more or, or less. And um, in that process, we kind of figured out each other's uh, uh, physical languages and were able to uh, create this replica of a puppet that is part of the Mahabharata tradition. Um, and this is like a, a lesser character. And so um, as, as an apprentice, um, I basically got to learn the ins and outs of making this one character and got to attend um, a couple of puppet shows that were very traditional in their uh, nature. Like in Indonesia, they still do puppet shows for the gods. So if you can imagine that, there's like a five hour long event where there is no audience. And that was something where I was like, ooh, I really appreciate this sense of reverence and ritual. And so that is something that I have tried to bring to my work as well. That was a very formative experience. And then, which led into this other period of time where I went and um, stayed for a while with um, the bread and puppet folks in Vermont, learning about political, politically active puppet theater and puppet circus. And I feel like this was a super, super important formative experience when it came to um, thinking about shifts in giant scale, um, the importance of sound in relation to these different aspects of puppetry or puppet movement and um, what, what differences you can come up with when you have many bodies to work with and then what you can do with just one singular body. Because at Bread and Puppet, for those of you who don't know, it is they have an apprenticeship program and kind of people will flock there over the summer. And at different points in time, there'll be like a hundred people that are in this circus performance and everyone kind of just like gets thrown in and starts doing all these different things. So then all of a sudden you have like all of these adults running with cardboard chairs across this field and you get this sort of like large scale kinetic sculpture that then becomes sort of a dance and there's all of these um, and then you have this relationship to the natural landscape and 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 that importance um, and the dialogue between those two things. And so I think it taught me a lot about um, about thinking about the relationship to place when you are um, wherever you are performing uh, and like who you are performing with and what those dynamics are and pushing that forward. And so all of those experiences kind of led me to um, one of my first loves, which was costume making and, uh, and worn art on the body. And so I um, have spent a lot of my time as an artist exploring these different archetypes. And so these are three different costumes that I made, um, thinking about these sort of big concepts. So um, in red here, we have, uh, this is the one man show that is sort of, uh, I think about him as kind of this uh, duality between this authority and this chaos. So he, he is a soldier, but then he has this toy theater that pops out of his chest that is depicting a kind of traditional Punch and Judy show, which is rooted in a lot of, uh, of kind of extreme violence. And so I, when I was making this, I was thinking a lot about um, the, uh, I mean, I made this a long time ago, but I feel like it is still relevant in terms of thinking about uh, where we are with the way that we think about policing and like, does it actually bring more order or does it bring more chaos? And how are those two things related? Like, are, is there a duality? Should there be? Um, and is, is it actually all contained within? Um, and then we have uh, this uh, character that is the mass of humanity. I spent a long time in my life thinking about the they, like who is they that we always refer to. And um, it was important to me that this, this mass, this like overpopulation bubble full of sheeple that just follow what everyone says doesn't actually have a face themselves. Um, because in essence, they are us, right? They are everyone, we are part of it. And, and what is that relationship? How can we exist in dialogue with that? Um, 
And then this third one, Bird Woman, um, came about. I was looking at a lot of Victorian era costumes and was very interested in this in this bustle concept. Um, and so she, to me, um, represents this relationship between um, longing and desire and searching. So she uh, has kind of like created, she has these, she's trapped in, in cages of her own making, but she's had a taste of this thing that she's looking for with this, with this little tiny bird and her little bustle that she carries around, yet she's always looking for that next thing, carrying her cage, waiting to trap the next thing. But then will it really be what she's looking for if it's trapped in the end? Um, and, uh, so my world of costume making sort of brought me to this world of, um, of interest in public spectacle and, um, and how that is really a source of, of kind of taking people out of their everyday life. And, um, I sort of happened upon it. I saw a, um, a sign-up sheet at a coffee shop for learning how to stilt walk. And I was like, hey, that seems cool. So I signed up and learned. And then that became this whole outlet for costume making in a different realm that sort of like threw me into the community because you would be amazed. All you have to do is make yourself five feet taller and everyone is like, oh, it's magic. Like, how, how are you doing that? What What's going on? Can I learn how to do that? Oh my goodness. And then you add the element of darkness. I feel like darkness is something that creates intimacy. I've learned this through different performances as well. And then you add lights and all of a sudden you become this ethereal um, being that, you know, has come out of the lake or come out of the, uh, come out of the universe in a new way. And so there is a parade that happens in Baltimore um, around Halloween every year that I got very involved with and would make costumes for. And so this year, uh, or the, the image that I'm showing right now is for the Cosmic Parade. And so this was one of my first experiences making stilt costumes and kind of like working, working with a group of people, coordinating them um, to create kind of a, an out of the ordinary everyday magical moment for, for those who got to witness. And then, um, Another year, I love this picture because of the little girl that's like, what are they doing at the bottom there? Um, but uh, this theme for this parade was talking about, um, the theme was rise. And it was like, how are we going to rise up um, as a city? And it was kind of, it happened, um, I think, maybe two years after the Baltimore uprising. And so the, the, the concept of rise was kind of in everybody's minds. And so I decided that I was going to embody all of the, the weeds of Baltimore rising up through the cracks in the sidewalk um, because they cannot be defeated. Right. And we're going to stick together as a community. And there's actually so much, so much medicine in those simple weeds out there. And so we have um, some Queen Anne's lace and some wild strawberry and a dandelion and some chicory flowers. And um, we ended up getting to parade around in these stilt costumes for an evening. And so all of those things kind of led me to this puppetry world and community in Baltimore where I met other people doing other different kinds of things. And so I met this artist wonderful, wonderful woman named Catherine Fahey, who has been making crankies for a long time. And after seeing her perform, um, I kind of told myself like, one day I'm going to make one of those. I want to, I want to know what that's about. And um, kind of held it in the back of my brain until one day, uh, it was the very beginning of 2015. And I woke up after having had this dream. And I was like, today's the day I have to make cranky. I'm not going to be afraid of power tools anymore. I went down to my dad's wood shop and was like, dad, we have to, let's do this. And um, we made a cranky box and I um, kind of like blew through this. Like I made it in a very short amount of time. And um, this piece is called Heart Splinters. And the story is basically, I, I had the dream in visuals. And so I just translated it into cut paper. I was interested, I had never really used cut paper before or worked with it, but I was interested, I always, I always loved it. Like I've, I've um, used X-Acto knives to cut out paper dolls since I was very young and 
um, thought that it would be a very meditative thing to do in the winter because it was early January. And so the story is about um, the heart of the world becoming too full to contain itself. And so it explodes and the pieces land all over the world and splinters of it landed in every human. And when we feel super connected to different places or, or beings, it is that little bit of the world's heart coming alive again, like coming aflame. And then some of that energy gets kind of sent back to the earth's core where the heart is growing yet again. And so it's this sort of story of cyclical love and rejuvenation. And at the time I was kind of like, I don't know where this is coming from. Like, I just feel like I have to make this thing. And um, that led me to realize that sometimes you just have to make it and you find out what it means way later. And so about a year later, I realized that that was me processing this, you know, this like hard moment that I had had um, in a personal relationship, but that also still feels like one of the most relevant stories that, that I am able to tell. Um, and that led me on this journey of cranky making. Cause once you, once you make one, you're like, Oh my gosh, now there's this whole new world opened up. I must, I must make more. Um, and so that was kind of in the back of my brain. Meanwhile, I was, you know, you live a very multifaceted life as an artist. So I had found my way to Alaska to learn how to farm organically. And everyone's like, Alaska, you went, you picked Alaska to farm and why? because I didn't know if I was going to like it. So I picked a place where there was a really short season so that I wouldn't have to like overcommit, right? I was like, I don't, I don't know. Um, fell in love with it, but also while I was learning how to farm, was still interested in puppets. And so I made this little guy from um, Birch Burls. He's the burly man and he existed alone for a while, but he was kind of an experiment in found object marionette making. And um, eventually over time, we're talking like, you know, half a decade, he found himself with this whole little stage and this whole little burlesque show um, with these fun little squirrel companions. And um, he sings his little song about being a scientific anomaly and uh, palling around with his squirrel friends. And then back to, gosh, now we're back to the archetypal costumes. And so I feel like I just like kind of exist in these phases that are dependent on how much space I have to make in and how much time I have to make, right? Between the, um, the trying to just make ends meet, um, I ended up at a residency in East Tennessee and during that time, I made, a lot of, I made a lot of things that didn't make a ton of sense to me, but it was a very tumultuous time. It was the year that Trump got elected. It was the year that the wildfires raged through. So that was like a, a total um, jarring thing to have happen. I never had had a moment where, you know, somebody comes into your house and is like, you have five minutes, pick everything that you want to take with you. And you're like, ah, so for days we weren't sure what was happening. And then all of this work kind of like came out of that tumult and distress. And so at the time I was thinking a lot about um, the wild woman archetype. I was, I went back to the women who run with the wolves and was thinking a lot about, um, what does she say? Um, that book was written by Clarissa Pincola Estes, and she talks about storytelling as psychic archaeological digs. And so I was like really digging into this concept of like what, like related to these words that women get labeled as and, and what did they mean to me personally? And what did they mean to the women that were around me? And so we have the virgin, the bitch, and the crone. And these are my embodiments of what that means. Um, and also it was a writing project. So I reached out to women that I knew to kind of reflect on those terms. And um, I don't know, like, like help me figure out what they, what they meant. Um, and so we have the virgin and she has these birds that are actually puppets that move. So as she moves her wrists, the birds flap because she's so light on her feet, she's barely touching the earth. And she has this like heart that's on fire because she's young and full of this like excitement for life. And then you have kind of the rough and tumble bitch that has these like wolfy vibes. They're these like multi masks 
that you can put on and then de-layer as you choose because that's how that's your protection and you've got the snakes because snakes are always this like symbol that gets associated back to the garden of eden and and um I just always feel like they're more, they're more power than not. Like whenever I think of snakes, I think of Egypt and like all of those powerful Pharaoh, Pharaohess ladies, those Egyptian priestesses and these giant, the giant headdress that's sort of like the lady version of the peacock strut and um, these, these bloody knees of like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to climb trees. I'm going to do what I want because this is the way I'm going to choose to live my life. And then you have this, um, beautiful wise woman and so she has this tiered skirt where the bottom are is like the wisdom of the land with all of these these medicinal herbs and plants that she's come to know only over time and then there are these um the the second tier is the different stages of your life from girlhood to sagehood um and all of the lessons that you have to learn along the way. And then at the top are kind of all of these um, symbol, like animal symbols or animals that kind of come up in literature as associated with, with that wisdom. Like you have the coyote trickster and the owl and um, uh, she's got these these hands, sort of the hands of knowledge caressing her around her shoulders, and then this beautiful headdress that is sort of reminiscent of the sun and the moon. And then during that same period of time, I made this show um, that is a, a traveling show on a cart. And so... Um, uh, in this show, I play a character. For whatever reason, in a lot of puppet shows that I have made, I uh, play a man with a mustache, and, I'm, I, and I don't really know what that means yet. I haven't uh, super delved into it, but I really like kind of messing, messing with the gender norm and just being like, yeah, I'm not really going to change my voice, but I'm going to put a mustache on, and it makes me feel more in character, uh, mustache and a hat and I'm ready to go. And so um, I play this character called Cornelius the Collector. He is an eschatologist RO and an eschatologist is someone who um, is concerned with the end times and the last day of days. And RO stands for realistic optimist. And so he takes his cart and he wheels it around and performs this show to kind of convince people of his philosophy of realistic optimism, because after all, that's really all you can be these days is a realistic optimist. We don't have many other choice. And so um, he is all about uh, the idea of resisting the gloom because there's so much negativity, there's so much to be down about in the world, but we can choose to be realistically optimistic. And um, he kind of uh, quizzes people. There's this qu questionnaire where he uh, convinces people that there is both internal and external work, but like it can all be a conversation that we can have together and it can lead to positive, a positive forward something. And so this was a very interesting show to roll around the, the city of Gatlinburg, Tennessee that I was living in at the time because it was also in some ways a social experiment um, because I said words like capitalism and I said words like, um, oh boy, there, there's this uh, in one of, one of these slides. So this, this, this flip book, story is called a contestoria and so there's different sections where we sort of sing about it and then I'll point to different images and um, one of them is this chart that talks about the raising gloom rates in the world and um, basically the last the last reason for the spike in gloom rate is due to capitalism and um, it was just very interesting to see people decide to stay after that or walk away and reasons why and I think that that's like part of the excitement of of having like a street show that is meant to be out in the public amongst people every day so that you can see um, see where they're at and and it also kind of like 
uh, I won't say trap people, but it lures people in because it's very colorful and vibrant and there's a little worm that gives a manifesto at one point in time and so kids are really into it, but it's also talking about these big heady issues and I feel like that's, that's kind of where I thrive the most, where it's like how do we talk about big stuff, but how do we do it with like a smile and with lots of color and make it lots of fun so that people are engaged and, and want to see what happens next. And uh, in the times where, you know, I feel like oftentimes artists are multi-potentialites, which there's a great TED talk out there about this woman that kind of coined this term about how uh, people that make things, make things in different veins or get very interested uh, for a period of time in something and then move on. And I definitely feel like I relate to that. And so in the times where maybe I don't have a lot of space to make work, or I feel extra anxious, I've started to make these collages. And I, I refer to them as my anxiety art because they are very immediate and they help me get, get the idea out of my brain. And they kind of feed and influence um, the visuals of other things that I make. Like I definitely feel like these are related to the crankies. They're definitely related to these, these house things that I've been making recently and so I tend to make them in different series. And so um, there was the one series that was related to the definitions and then another series I made by, I found this uh, how-to book at a thrift store. And so for uh, a week, every day that week, I would open the book and I would pick a phrase and I would make a collage based on that phrase, just with whatever magazines or books that I had around. And they kind of just helped me work through times where I feel like I, I need to make something, but um, I'm not ready, quite ready to make like a three-dimensional sculpture or something that feels like a bigger time suck than just puzzling together pieces of a collage. And so here are stills from um, the World Woman Cranky. This, um, so every year in Baltimore for the, well, I think it's been going on for, I wanna say like eight years now, but for the past, three to three years. I guess I won't count this past year because we did have to cancel due to pandemic things. Um, I have helped uh, co-host and put on a cranky festival. And so these are events that have started to pop up kind of around the country. There's one ha that happens in Portland now that is put on by a woman whose name is Sue Truman. And so basically it is kind of like a, um, cabaret night where different cranky artists come and put on their shows and then there's usually like a musical act that um, helps transition between each piece and so this piece was made for uh, the Baltimore Cranky Festival in 2018 and at the time I was um, kind of hearkening back to that uh, the old woman archetype that like sage woman, this world woman, and th this uh, like kind of thinking about mother nature and mother nature personified and who that is. I had read this book um, called If Women Rose Rooted, that was super inspiring. And so this, this cranky kind of came out of that. Um, and it starts with this flower between the mountains that blooms and the mountains pull away to that image that uh, we had at the beginning with the roots coming down and then that sort of leads the scroll. And so I worked, I collaborated with a friend of mine um, to help me puppeteer. So that's something that is always uh, part of the equation is uh, for these crankies, you can crank, but you can't always crank and puppet at the same time. Sometimes there's just things that you can't do because you only have two hands. And so I had a puppeteer friend help me. And then I also had a musician friend of mine help work through different sounds. And so there was like a lot of different elements. We had a saw, we had chimes, we had um, a rain stick going in the background and then beautiful violin music kind of uh, creating this soundscape in the back. And um, the story is kind of a, a call to action about um, you know, this, this woman works around the clock tire, tirelessly trying to, to stitch the world back together in the places that it's been worn and she enlists the help of her non-human allies 
Um, and she learns lessons from all of them along the way. And then at the end, there is this like call out to um, us to take up action in becoming an ally as well. And so this, um, there is a little bit of a call and response uh, chorus and refrain. There's some singing. I always try and have the audience interact in some way. And so um, this was my first experiment as trying to get the audience to sing with me. And it actually is super, super beautiful and wonderful to get a whole room of people singing with you. And so this little mushroom man kind of whispers, whispers into my ear asking if, if people will, will join in. And surprisingly enough, people always do. And it's just such a wonderful way to, to build and like feel the community. more collages these are more recent um uh these are just based out of pandemic anxiety i was thinking a lot about um like turtles traveling with their homes on their backs as a way to to be safe yet move through this like new world that we're existing in and um the other collage I think I titled like, and the world still goes round, like thinking about all the things that were still happening while everyone, while I, like I felt so stuck in place and so in my own head um, with stuff going on. And then these kind of started popping up where I've, I've always been interested in making these little tiny hands. And so, um, and my, my background is in textiles. And so I, kind of randomly decided I was gonna start an indigo dye vat and then this is what came out of it because I dyed some fabric and was like, okay, I'm gonna make something. And then another cranky for a cranky festival. This one um, took a different, a different vibe. I was really interested in trying to turn the cranky box into a machine that, that actually like churned something out of it, trying to think about the different mechanisms of cranks. And so there's this funnel at the top that uh, in the very beginning, we're mad scientists and I get this little turkey baster out and I sort of squeeze a drop into the funnel and it uh, travels down and starts the turning of this machine that kind of talks about um, feeling lost in place and what that means. And then we get to where I have been now and the hands show up again in these small house shrines. I feel like uh, during the, gosh, this whole past year has just felt like such a time warp in some ways. Like it feels like so much happened and then also not a whole lot happened. Um, but I started making these tiny spaces early on. I uh, found this woman who, had a basement full of cigar boxes that she was getting rid of. And so I went and picked some up and decided I was going to start making these tiny spaces. And uh, I think that they, they helped me mentally escape my tiny little studio space, the two rooms that I felt like I existed in during the pandemic. Um, and I feel like these are especially related to, to the collages in the visuals and how these like sort of found object disparate parts come together to create this, um, I don't know. It's all, it also harkens back to, as a little girl, I would uh, play with dollhouses. I had a dollhouse. Um, I was very adamant to have a log cabin dollhouse at one period of time. And so uh, recently I've gone back home and sort of sorted through all of my tiny miniature things and picked the objects that I felt spoke to me to kind of incorporate them into these small places and spaces. And then this is a, just a close, uh, closer up view of um, one of them that's on display in the show here behind me. And then as an artist, you always have other stuff going on. And so this was something that I just recently started making was um, I, my dad made me this beautiful flower press not that long ago. And I started just making these colorful mandalas out of pressed flowers. And I'm not yet sure how they factor in or relate, but um, they feel like the collage in terms of their immediacy. And I'm really, really digging just 
the 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 vibrant brightness in coming out of this sort of dark time and space that we've been in. And here we are, the blobfish, my resist the gloom mascot has been made into a puppet. And so he's been traveling with me across the country to come to Alaska. Um, uh, you can see him on my Instagram at Schubert Emily in different places, kind of traveling with me as I go. And he's actually the host of some um, virtual puppet slams. Uh, the Black Cherry Puppet Theater in Baltimore hosts these short form cabaret nights of like short puppetry acts and musical performance. And so uh, Blobfish has become the host during the pandemic. And uh, I really appreciate him as, as my resist the gloom mascot because there's so much gloom out there these days that it's a good reminder to have something to sort of rally against, rally against that dread. And so my original plan for this residency was to drive. I, I was really hoping and dreaming of driving the Alcan and sort of um, in September, I had the opportunity to go on a trip to Maine where I visited Quaddy Head State Park, which is like the easternmost point of the continental US. And I, so I had this like very poetic imagining dream of driving then to the westernmost point and then lo and behold pandemic no access to canada tried and failed and so i had to fly here the rest of the way but this is kind of where my thinking has been at in terms of um i've been thinking a lot about this in-between space like where i am at personally feeling very st stuck in between like what, what is okay now? Like I've been vaccinated, but is it okay to go places and, and meet up with people? Like, like where are we at in terms of level of comfort? Thinking about, about liminality, this, this in between. I was looking up the definition of, of what liminal meant and it's like, at a, like almost at a threshold, we're like almost there. We're at this point where we're almost ready to maybe open up again or maybe return to n normal, maybe? Like, what is normal now? Thinking about all of these um, and sort of this, this thing that has happened to us as a society um, where we are being moved to one end or the other, right? Like, there's less there's less, it seems, it feels like there's less inhabiting of this middle space purposefully where people are like trying to have the hard conversations and, and interact with those with opposing views, like things are very polarized. Um, and so I was very interested in, in driving through the middle too, because I, you know, I feel like I've mostly existed on coasts and they have a very different feeling to them than the center of the country and the people that live there in these rural spaces. And I'm interested in what's going on there because it's not my lived experience. And I feel like that is like where the, the, ex where the, the exchange is most needed and like where I'm at in terms of trying to figure out what, what is a story for now? That's a big question that I have at this residency is like, um, I wrote down, what is the kind of story needed right now? Is it about survival or persistence or collaboration? And who am I with my specific perspective, privileges, and hangups to tell it? And so I think that that is definitely um, what I'm hoping to explore during my time here at Bunnell. And, um, and also thinking about like how, what does it mean to be in in right relationship with with this natural environment but also what does it mean to be in right relationship with with other people and especially others whom it seems harder to reach with the way that i you know because of my experience or because of the things that i'm thinking about or have been exposed to um And so I guess we'll see. Uh, I'm still exploring shadows and I uh, have recently gotten really into these different kinds of, of tissue paper and color. Like I have been very uh, limited with my exploration of color and cut paper in cranky format. And so that's something that I'm looking to explore a little bit more while I'm here. Um, 
I've been really interested in like symbols of pandemics and uh, came across um, in Japan, there are these spirit entities called yokai and one in particular called Amabie is this weird duck mermaid creature that like appears out of the ocean when a pandemic is about to happen and um, is supposed to be a, like a, a harbinger of safety. And so uh, during times of sickness, she first started popping up like during uh, the, an early cholera epidemic, people would post pictures of her around so that if you saw her picture, you would be protected or be safe from this sickness. And um, during this time, there has kind of been a resurgence of like uh, furry mascots and stuff popping up of Amabie specifically during the pandemic. Um, and then uh, thinking about this other form of puppetry that I kind of recently discovered, I have a friend who is Japanese, um, who I was kind of talking to about yokai and these different concepts. And I came across this obscure form of puppetry called dogu gaeshi, that is a series of sliding screens. And so um, as the story unfolds, these screens kind of open and close and reveal new spaces. And I feel like it's a really beautiful way to sort of bridge time space. And, um, and I feel like it could uh, interplay with, with the mechanism of Cranky really beautifully. And so I'm interested in maybe incorporating something that is sort of similar yet different, kind of a new take on um, a very, very, very old tradition. And so, uh, and then another thing that I have been thinking about is this other type of theater that happens in Brazil called Teatro Lambe Lambe, which is like a, like a individualized show. I think that, uh, Theater is something that has been hit super hard during the pandemic. Um, I have a lot of friends in that world and it's, and it's, it's a hard thing to do right now. And so most people have switched over to this video format, but it's just not the same. Those of us who are live performers, like you don't get the same kind of energy from the people witnessing it or watching it. And I think that I am really interested in this idea of creating a very intimate, small, like uh, singular one-on-one -on -one interaction um, to at least have it still be live in some way. And so um, I've been watching a lot of videos and looking into that and I'm hoping to potentially um, incorporate that somehow. I'm not sure if that relates to the cranky or what yet, but these are things that I've been thinking about working on while I've been here. And I believe that is the end of my slides talk. So. I know that was a lot of information um, and thank you all for being here. And uh, I would love to open it up for any kind of questions um, if we're ready for that. Thank you, Emily. That was just a magnificent talk. My whole family enjoyed it. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think it would be wonderful if anybody has questions for Emily, a great time to, to hear. I think we're all kind of just dumbstruck and gobsmacked by your incredible productivity and the span of your studies and engagement. I keep thinking about something. I, 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 you've probably at some point provided the clues to your age, but I actually think you might be the youngest artist in residence we've had at Bunnell. And I find that really beautiful and poignant somehow during this time, this uh, pandemic time, because it, and so many levels were faced with anxiety globally. And the kind of energy and um, what did you call it? Um, something optimism, realistic optimism? Is that what you used? Realistic optimism, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that energy yes. that you have is, is the best kind of medicine right now. And so I'm just really glad that you're here. <laughs> I'm super glad to be here. Um, yeah, I feel like like everyone at heart is a realistic optimist. Um, at the end of that show, actually, uh, everyone who is an audience member gets a little certificate that says that you are an official member of the Society of Realistic Optimists. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of rough stuff going on. And it's really hard, uh, like, to 
to be confronted with it, it's like a deluge, right? It's just like over and over and over and it doesn't seem to be getting any better, especially with, you know, like we, we think that we're, we're through something and then there's a, you know, another mass shooting or there's another, we're t everyone's talking about the fourth wave and it's like, where do we catch a break? And so I think that, that anything that you can, you can do or be a part of that sort of takes you out of that, like super bogged down reality is worth it, you know? And, and even, you know, I feel so, so grateful that Zoom exists yet also not because I cannot wait until we're back in person, but at least like in these spaces, we can still have those conversations and like be inspired and like, see new things that we can eventually go try. Like I am, you know, I've only been here for poof, like four days and I like already have a driftwood collection that I'm like, how am I going to get this back to uh, where I come from? And how do I make uh, salmon skin leather? And how do I, you know, like all of these different things that are like, ah, oh, I didn't even know this was possible. Let's try it. That's so wonderful. Well, um, I can see from the stream of comments, which you've probably been too busy to notice that you have a lot of fans and a really engaged audience um, in Alaska and, and beyond. Just want to invite people again to share any comments or questions if you have them. Um, I just want to say how I so, yep. appreci mm -hmm. I so appreciate your curiosity um, and just how you are fearless about digging into so many things. And it just reminds me how we have got to stay curious as artists and as people to, to dig in to find those, um, that inspiration out there and to just stay engaged. Uh, even during this time of, it feels like some days endless gloom. And so you've just brought like such this new energy into our space. And I just am so grateful that you're here. So thank you. Please. Well, uh, go ahead, Melissa. Yeah, I'm just flabbergasted at how you're able to funnel and focus your thoughts. I mean, it's one thing to have them. It's another thing to make stuff that really expresses them. And you don't seem like you get caught up with knowing what it's going to be before you start. And you're so fluid and robust and... You're like this uh, fire hydrant. You just come out so, like, so much. <laughs> it's like, wow. I will say, perhaps, perhaps it, I don't know. It's one of those things where maybe it, maybe it looks easier than it is. Because I definitely don't always, it feels very jumbled sometimes. And I think that that's why there are all, there are all these different veins. And, like, this opportunity is really lovely because... I get to put all of these things that when I talk to people like about what I make, like out of this context, they're like, but like, I don't get it. You make collages and puppets and, and I'm like, yeah, well, I don't know. Like it just feels like it has to come out. So then it does in that way. And it does, like, if you look at them now, like it's so cool to see them all in this space. Cause I'm like, Oh, they're totally related. Like I can see how every single one of these like leads into the other and like they're, they have a conversation going on and that feels important and cool. Um, but it is hard to explain. Like, I think that that is the, the, the space that I still feel most lost as a maker is that it's, it's kind of, and, and even the world of puppetry, because I am not the kind of puppeteer that like has voices for my puppets. Like I, I use them as a vehicle to tell this story and sometimes the narration voice is my own and sometimes it's nonverbal, but like I don't feel comfortable in that like, like, like I'm not, I don't know, sometimes it's hard to be like, not like Sesame Street, but kind of, you know, like Blobfish is kind of like that, but not exactly. Um, and so it is this, it's, it's like another in-between. And, and I've been thinking about that a lot too in relation to my thinking about the, the in-between is like I often feel like I fall in between these different like relegated sections. And so what does that mean or how can I 
uh, how can I have conversations about that that make other people feel more comfortable about that in-between space? And then I, and then, you know, that like jumps off to different realms of being like, isn't that what most like religion is talking about? Like you follow this like center path, you try and find this balance, you like try and just like be in this center space. And with all the arguments and all of the like dichotomies, the answer, like I don't have a lot of answers. I mostly have questions, but like when you feel closest to an answer, it's in the in-between, right? Like it's never over here or over there. It's always like somewhere in the middle. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Emily. Thanks for being here.